I'm Ines Franklin. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the chapel. And it's so good to see all of you here, all of us together as one big family, to look at this question, what is Palm Sunday? Right? I mean, when I grew up, I, my grandmother, my abuelita, used to take me to church. I grew up in Puerto Rico. And I used to think that Palm Sunday was like, you know, the, the gardeners went and groomed all the palm trees, lots of palm trees in Puerto Rico. And, I, you know, they had extra palms, and so we are sharing them in church. But as I grew up, you know, I started to understand better. And the thing about it is, we don't have to guess what Palm Sunday is. It is actually in the story in Scripture, which we're actually going to study today. So if you have your Bible, uh, pull it, if you would, uh, to Matthew chapter 21. And, um, you know, one thing we're going to learn today is what Palm Sunday is, what's with the palms everywhere, what's this all about. But we're also going to learn from this scripture today how to prepare ourselves, how to prepare our hearts towards Easter. Easter is next Sunday, and we're going to be in this week of preparing our hearts towards the celebration called Easter. And so uh, if you go to a movie, I'm curious, uh, do, you, do you walk into the movie at the beginning of the movie or in the middle of the movie or towards the end of the movie? When do you go to a movie? The beginning, right? Like if you walk in the middle of the movie and something really exciting is going on, you're like, you have no clue, right? And right away, you're like one of those really annoying people in the theater that start asking like, what happened? Who's, who's that person? Why are they mad? You know, not good. We're actually going to enter into the story at, at almost at the climax, at the beginning of the climax. So, so that you don't start talking to your neighbor going like, what happened before this? I'm going to give you a little bit of background, all right? It's a little background. By this time in the story, this is chapter 21 of Matthew, we know that Jesus had become very famous. He had people following him, lots of people. Why? Because he had healed many. He had brought uh, healing to many. He had brought people back to life. He had fed thousands with just a few pieces of bread and fish. And now he had become so famous that crowds of people were following him. Another thing you ought to know is that all up to this point, Jesus did not want to be famous. He did not want to have huge crowds around him. In fact, every time he healed someone, he'd say, listen, don't tell anybody about this. But of course, some, something incredible would happen to these people's lives, and they didn't want to keep it to themselves. Like, if you had something exciting happen, would you keep it to yourself? No, we're not good at that. So sure enough, people would go and tell others about what happened. And so Jesus, nevertheless, became famous. That was one issue. The other thing is, not every famous person is liked, right? I mean, there's always somebody who doesn't like, even the famous people. And there were two groups of people who did not like Jesus. One of them were the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders, the teachers. And the reason they did not like Jesus, most of them, was because he was pointing out to them all the things that they were doing wrong, the ways in which they had taken advantage of their religious authority to oppress others the ways in which they had misrepresented scriptures, the way they had misrepresented God. And he was pointing that out to them all the time, hoping to change their way of being, but instead they just got mad at Jesus and they were trying to figure out how to get rid of him. And then there was another group of people, the Romans. You see, in the city of Jerusalem was um, overpowered by Rome. And in Rome, the, the whole tactic was to come into a city, take over it, oppress the people, tax them, in other words, take some of their money, take their land, take their stuff, and then make them work very, very hard and make sure nobody rebelled. So one of the things the Roman did not like is with any kind of large crowds or anyone becoming famous. That was like a big no-no. 
And so we see the story. We're going to pick up the story at this place where we have Jesus, famous, large crowds around him. He's headed towards Jerusalem where both groups of people are there. The Pharisees are there. The Romans are there. And so he's headed into trouble. And you know, the, the people who followed Jesus were saying to Jesus, do you really need to go back to Jerusalem? You know, th th there's going to be a problem there if you go. And by this time in the story, three times Jesus tells them, I know we're going to go to Jerusalem, and I know that I will die there. He knew, he already predicted that he would have to die for a big purpose. And of course, they didn't want to hear that. They were like, oh, Jesus, no, you know, it's not going to happen. We shouldn't go to Jerusalem. And we pick up the story just as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. So are you with me? Did you find your place in Matthew? All right, now, in your outline, if you have your outlines, the back page is blank. That's for you guys to write some notes because this is one of those sermons. It's a note-taking kind of a sermon. And I want you to highlight some things, so grab a pen as well. And so let us start with Matthew 21. Verse 1. I love hearing the pages. It's such a good sound. Okay. A little distracted there. Um, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. Well, let me pause for a second. Jesus sends two disciples. All right. Now, remember, Jesus is very famous. Anybody know a famous person? By the way, a famous person is still alive. Name, name a name. You have to yell it loud so I can hear you. Justin Bieber. You know Justin Bieber? Okay, so that's pretty good. So let's say, let's say, let me ask you a question. You, hang, you get to meet Justin Bieber. You meet one of these famous people. And what's your first thought? Especially Justin Bieber. You're going, oh, I wonder if I can get a selfie with him and send it to my friends, post it on Facebook or Instagram. Or I wonder if he'll even talk to me. Like, will I be able to touch him? Can I stand really close? Or I wonder if, will he actually spend some time with me? Will he teach me everything he knows about his music, right? Wouldn't that be cool if he taught you how to become famous like him? Right? That's typically what we think of when we are around someone who's famous. We want to, like, get something from them. But here Jesus takes two guys, two disciples, and we don't know who they are. You notice they're not named. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, which means it could have been anyone. It could have been one of the 12 apostles, or it could have been anyone who was following Jesus. And so he picks two. Was it Peter and Andrew? Was it James and John? Was it the two Simons or the two Judases? We don't know the combination. We just know there's two unknown guys get chosen. Two lucky ones get chosen by Jesus. And this is what happens. It says, Jesus says to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Huh? Wait. So, Jesus, you want us? You're very famous. I figured you're going to give us something really cool to go do. You want us to go and get a donkey and a colt? Yes, he does. Now, if, if you had met Justin Bieber and he asked you to go get a Coke for him, would you go do that? Yeah, you know, we do. If someone is that, we, we're so enamored by them, and they ask us to do something, even if it's menial, we'll go do it, right? So he tells them, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. 
Say to the daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I'm sure by now that, you know, we don't, we don't get a lot of information about these two guys, but I, I'm sure by now they're thinking, what? Why are we going over there and getting some donkeys before we go into Jerusalem? I mean, they're not going to help us, Jesus, as far as fighting a battle. I mean, usually a donkey, especially a baby donkey, which is what you call a colt. I mean, this one had never ridden before. It probably wouldn't even know which way to go. And so we're going, ah, Jesus. And in fact, John, John tells us that the disciples did not understand why Jesus asked them to do this. At first, they didn't get this. They got it after, right? So the big question is, did they obey Jesus? Because I'm going to fill in the blanks because if I were one of them, I wonder if you would be like me. I'd be going, like, why Jesus asking him to go get a donkey? I don't understand what he's going to I mean, does he know this guy? What if we go over there and he takes a swing at us, you know, and starts to fight for his donkey? What am I supposed to do? I mean, they're having these kinds of thoughts. Would you have thoughts like that if you were asked to go get a donkey, right? And Jesus says this is part of a prophecy that's being fulfilled, that the king would enter into the city in a donkey. What? Kings usually ride on white horses, stallions, with big noise and lots of crowds. It's like, a donkey, Jesus? So they have all kinds of questions, right? Will they obey Jesus? That's the question. So when we go into the next verse, verse 6, here's what they do. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They did it. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And even though to them it might have been a confusing request, even though to them they would have not known how this played in the bigger plan of God, they were obedient. And, you know, I am convinced that we serve a God who is very, very intentional. He has a greater plan, a plan that we can't possibly get into our heads and understand. And he calls each and every one of us to do things for him and with him. So I wonder, this is the first thing you're going to write on your little pieces of paper. I wonder, what is God, Jesus, calling you to do? Is there something that he has been whispering in your mind, in your heart, and you're hearing him kind of tell you, hey, do this? Is he asking you to be kinder to someone? Is he asking you to... Reach out to that person, that student, that teacher, that coworker, that family member that's kind of weird and you don't want to talk to. Maybe that elderly person that lives in your neighborhood that nobody visits and they're by themselves. Maybe a sick person who needs someone to come and bring them something to eat. Is he calling you and whispering to you something that he's asking you to do? And I wonder if you're thinking, that's a small thing. I'm kind of busy, God. I, I don't have time for that. that how is that going to help? I'm just one person. And we don't really know what God has in mind when he calls us to do things. Well, one thing I do know is that he's intentional and that he will use our obedience for his glory. And he, we will grow because of that experience. So write down, if you would, on your little piece of paper, what is God calling you to do? What is Jesus asking you to do? And then we see how they, how they responded. You see, they didn't just do exactly what Jesus called them to do. They took it a step further. Look what it says in verse 7. 
They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Now, that's a big deal, all right? Now, how many of you have a whole bunch of sweaters and a few jackets in your closet? Anybody? Some of you are not raising your hands. You don't have jackets at all? Okay. I, listen, I looked at my jacket, this, I mean, my closet this morning, and I have a section about this big with all kinds of little sweaters and all kinds of different jackets and different colors. And I don't even have that much clothes, but I have a lot of jackets. Something about the first century we must keep in mind is that they only had one, just one. And this was precious to them because it kept them from the cold, the elements. It was very important. So these guys not only do exactly what Jesus calls them to do, but they go a step further. They take off their jacket and they put it on the donkey. Oh, a smelly one to boot. So that Jesus can sit on it. And that completely inspired the crowd. Remember, there's a whole crowd of people following Jesus. And look at what they do as we read on. A very large crowd. How big? Very large crowd, bigger than this crowd, a very large crowd. Kids, parents, uncles, aunts, older people, all kinds of people are hanging around. They spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Now, I'm thinking maybe some of them left their coat at home. It might have been a hot day. And so they wanted to put something down, so they pick up, you know, palm tree from the trees and and from the bushes and they start to put all this down in Jesus why so that it would be like a red carpet so that Jesus sitting on this colt would come into Jerusalem never touching the ground a royal treatment for Jesus treated as though he was a king himself everyone gave of themselves gave of their cloaks or found things to put at the feet of Jesus to welcome him in and so that's my another question for you. As we prepare for Easter, what is Jesus calling you to lay down at his feet? That he might walk upon it, that he might sit on it. Now, I know there's things that we might want to hold on to, right? Like, I'll tell you mine. I value being light. I, 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 it stresses me out when people don't like me, and so I try really hard to be light. Anybody like me? Oh, come on, there's more of you. There's a problem, but a lot of us have this problem. We, you know, nobody likes to be disliked, and some of us kind of go too far with it. I'm one of those. I, like, I really am a people pleaser. That's what they call them, you know, the psychologists. I'm a people pleaser, and the, the challenge with this is that when I work and operate out of that fear and that need, I make a mess out of things. I make it worse. So instead of being a good thing for me, it turns out to be a bad thing. And I hold on to it like it's precious, like that one cloak that I own. And it's really hard for me to let that go. And what I was feeling Jesus calling me to do was to take that off, lay it at the feet of Jesus, and let him walk on it. Let his feet touch upon it. And I'm thinking it's probably going to get a little bit dirty because the ground is dirty, and it's going to come back at me slightly different because the precious holy feet of Jesus have been upon it. And maybe that's going to change my heart. And I will start to see that I should only need to please one. One. Audience of one. That's what I'm hearing God tell me. So what is he asking you to put at his feet? For him to transform. For him to give back to you in a whole new way. What thing must you shed? Must you shed the need to be like in the right social crowd? For kids, you know, the junior high, I think they use the social hierarchy issues, being in the in crowd or not being in the in crowd. 
Do we have to give up? As, as adults, even, we struggle with the same thing. Like, who are we hanging out with? How, is, how important are they? How do they help us? Do we have to give up maybe an addiction or some sort of bad habit or some way of being that's actually hurting us instead of helping us? And we're grabbing onto it because we don't want to let go. And Jesus is saying, put it at my feet. Let me transform that. So write that down. What is Jesus calling you to lay down on the road for him? And then as we continue, in verse 9, the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted. So this was a large crowd. We're headed into Jerusalem. Remember, the Pharisees were there. The Romans were there. And they're watching, like, the sea of people coming at them. And they're not, like, quiet. They're not walking around very orderly. We're told in Scripture that they, this large crowd, very large crowd, shouted. They shouted, and they shouted these words, and I want us to, like, do this together. You want to do it together? Are you ready to shout? All right, good. So we're going to read from uh, what they actually shout. Let's do this together. Hosanna to the son of David. Louder. Blessed is he who comes to the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now imagine, they're saying this over and over and over again, and they're yelling this out. And so here's what we're told in this scripture. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The whole city was stirred. This loud noise caused a commotion. And in the middle of this loud noise, people, I mean, they're going, following Jesus, and they're waving their palms, and they're throwing their cloaks, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus. And they're making this whole big deal. In the middle of this, Jesus, we're told by Luke, begins to weep. Now, I'm sure some of them in the crowd were thinking, oh, he's crying because he's happy. But truly, we're told in Scripture, he weeped for Jerusalem. Now, see, Jesus was coming into the city. He knew that he was going to die. And he was going to die a shameful, painful death. He was going to be put on the cross and left there to bleed to death. Horrible kind of death. And naturally, if it was you or I, we'd be crying because we were headed there. But that's not why Jesus was crying. You see, Jesus was crying for the people. He cried for the people that were with him. He cried for the people that were in the city. He cried for the poor and the weak and the needy and the lost and the depressed and the sick and the people who were oppressed. He cried for the people. Jesus loves you and he loves me. He loves every single one of us. And he comes into the city here, proclaim as a king, and his heart weeps. And I wonder, do we, as we prepare towards Easter, can we prepare our hearts to feel the same things that Jesus feel? Are we willing to love others the way that Jesus loves them and loves us? And so as we, we look at the scripture and we see the people yelling out his name and we recognize the heart of Jesus, are you willing, are you willing to feel like Jesus feels? And then we're told the whole city was stirred. You know that word that Matthew uses here? When you look at the original language, which was Greek, it's like an earthquake. 
There's so much commotion going on. There's so much noise that everybody has to put down what they're doing. You know, people are selling things. People are eating. Everybody stops and goes, well, what's going on? What's all that noise, right? I mean, have you seen a, a caravan of the president or some governor or someone show up in town here? And all of a sudden, the roads are closed out, and there's these black cars going and helicopter hovering. And we want to know, who is it? Who is it? Who's in there? We want to peek, right, as best as we can. And these people were doing the same thing. They're saying, listen to what they're saying. They're saying, who is this? The crowd answered them, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You see, people want to know who Jesus is. Now, some of us might know, and some people may have heard of his name, but not everyone really knows who Jesus is. You know, Jesus is the most famous person ever, ever, still to this day. He's the most famous. Billions of people know who he was. They know his name. And do you know there are still billions more who don't, who've never heard his name? But still, he's the most famous person. Sadly, however, many people don't really know him. Many people don't really experience his love, his transformation. And you know, he is asking us to join him in this effort. See, the crowds yell out who he is. We as his followers, we who love him, it's our opportunity to share with others who Jesus really is. So at school, maybe showing some love to your classmate, helping someone in need, or helping your teacher. Maybe she's having a bad day or he's having a bad day. At work, being willing to go across the aisle and say something to someone they need to hear that day. Encouragement, perhaps some sort of help. If we start to live out what we believe, people will start to see who Jesus is. And you know, the best way, if, if you're thinking, ah, oh, it's kind of hard for me to figure out how to tell people who Jesus is. Anybody feel like that? Like, it's like, if people ask me who's Jesus, I think I have to be like an apologetics expert and ask your parents what that means. Uh, and I have to like know a whole bunch of things. And I don't know what to say about that. Anybody feel like that? A little bit intimidated to show who Jesus is? Okay. The best way, I'll tell you. You want to know? You don't want to know? I got an answer. The best way to know how to tell people who Jesus is, is to invite them to church. You see, when we gather together as a family, as we're doing here today, if you're not on your best behavior that day and you're not reflecting Jesus very well, somebody else will. And the people will see the community gathered together in the name of Jesus and want to know, who is this Jesus that all these people are hanging out together? And then through worship, we experience his presence and his love. And so people will hear the words that tell them who Jesus is. And, of course, through the teaching, we hear about his life and his story. So in worship, when we come together to church, we get to proclaim who Jesus is. And do you know why people don't come to church? Most of them don't come because they're not invited. They're waiting for someone to invite them. They don't know. It's like, I don't know, walking into the church. Maybe they had some bad experience and now they're afraid. Maybe this church will be bad too or they've had some. For all kinds of reasons, people are waiting to be invited. Will you invite someone? Will you take that step to invite, to t point out to who Jesus is by simply saying, come with me. Come to church with me. 
And Easter is a wonderful opportunity to do that. And if you're a little confused as about how to do this, if you're still a little nervous, check out this video. This is the easy way to invite. It's God. It's not me. <laughs> it's God. I'm an international student from Korea. It's been six months since I've been at UCI and three months since I started coming to Mariners. God has been sending me a lot of really good friends. My friends knew that I was a Christian and I go to church, but I couldn't really talk to them about it. I thought they would think I'm lame or boring because I'm a Christian. I didn't want to disappoint them because I wasn't a perfect Christian. God has been showing me that because of His grace, I became more confident of just telling people about church. One night, I decided to bring them a box of donuts. I knocked on some of my friends' doors and I told them, oh, I brought you some donuts. And my friends asked me, oh, where did you get it from? And I told them, oh, I bought it from a church. And if you want to go to church together, just tell me. Surprisingly, they told me that they want to actually go to church with me and uh, that they actually went to church when they were really young and they want to go again, go visit it again. Since then, a lot more friends just came to me and asked me, can I go to church with you? And I always say, yes, why not? Let's go to church. I realized that I didn't need to do something really big, but to invite them and maybe bring just a box of donuts. Yeah. There you go. That's the easy way to invite. So let us recap real quick what we learned today, okay? We learned a few things that we can do as we prepare towards Easter. Does anybody know them? You want to yell them out? They're on your outline. <laughs> okay, one of them is we get to do what Jesus is calling us to do, right? As we prepare for Easter, will we be willing to do that thing? The second one is will we love, will we feel the way that Jesus does towards others? Lastly, will we tell someone about Jesus? Will we take that bold step and invite someone? And I'm going to give you one more challenge. I know, you're thinking, oh, I don't need another challenge. But this one is fun, I promise. Would you leave a movie in the middle of the climax? No, that's like the best part. It's about to come. So yeah, we, we just read a little part of scripture today. The rest of the story is still going to unfold. So I just want to invite you to do this this week. Find a way, any which way, to read through the rest of the story. Today we read out of Matthew, but you can choose John, Luke, or Mark. All of them have the story of the last week of Jesus' life, including the resurrection. And so there's different ways you can do this. You can like maybe at dinner, hang out with the family, and just read through the story a little bit each day. Or maybe you can uh, get together with some friends and read it together. Or perhaps your whole family can gather together, make some cookies or dinner, go meet your neighbors and all of them together and read it together as a group. Or if you're like, ah, I don't have any kids or locally or whatever, or your kids are far away, grandparents, aunts, uncles, pick up the phone. Call your grandkids, call your nieces and nephews and say, hey, let's read the story of Jesus together a little bit every single night. Use FaceTime or Skype, any which way. Let us commit to reading the rest of the story and seeing how this all ends. See, because next Sunday we celebrate Easter. We celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. But we can't miss between Palm Sunday and all of a sudden, boom, here comes the resurrection, right? We've got to get the whole picture. So I just want to encourage you to do that.
And now as we respond to what Jesus taught us today, as we now understand what Palm Sunday is all about, why palms? As we get that Jesus has asked us some pretty important questions, right? Will we do what he asks us to do? Will we obey? Will we give up the things that are getting in the way of our relationship with him? Will we, will we love others like he loves them? Will we invite? As you decide how to answer those questions, I want to invite you to our stations. It's one of the beautiful things about the chapel. And some of you maybe have never done this, but on that corner right there is the prayer wall. This is where you get to write down your prayers and tell God, tell Jesus what your needs are. Perhaps you came today and you have a, a deep need and you want to have a conversation with God and you can put it in writing. There are people who will pray for those. But if you feel like, I just can't write this down, I need to talk to someone, we have a prayer team who's going to be up front who will be happy to pray with you and for you. Another way that we respond here at the chapel is we go to the cross. You see, at the cross is where we get to nail the things that get in our way. See, Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. No longer does sin have power over us. All those temptations, all those desires that make us do all the wrong things, we can nail them to the cross and ask Jesus to take that power away. And he does not condemn us, see? At the cross, he gives us nothing but grace and acceptance and love. So we remember that by going to the cross. And then up front, we have the candles. Now, there's a lot of us here. We want everyone to have a chance or who wants to have a chance to light a candle. So we come up and we light one candle. Why? Because that candle perhaps represents that person that Jesus put in your heart today that you're going to invite this week. Maybe that candle represents the hope that we are now walking with Jesus towards Easter, that we will also rise again even if our bodies will give out to death. We will have eternity with our Heavenly Father. We light the candles to remember that truth. And then today we're going to do communion very differently than we normally do in the chapel. The pastors will be up front, and we're going to hold the communion elements. You know why we do this every single Sunday? We do this because we remember, Jesus told us, remember, remember that I came. I gave everything. The people were yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save me, save me. That's what that statement means. And Jesus says, I did, I came. I died so that the world would be saved. I rose again so that we would see that he is constantly transforming us from the inside out. And so we take the bread, we dip it on the cup, and we remember and we celebrate what Jesus has done for every single one of us. And you can go to any of these stations. You can go to all of them. But when you're done with the stations, don't leave. Come back and sit. We have a few more things to do after. We're not done yet. This is our time to be with God and response, respond to what he's telling us today. So you can get up and do whichever you want over the next few minutes.